The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. In the evening of the first day of the week, the doors were closed in the room where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came in and stood among them. He said to them, Peace be with you, and showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, and he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So today has been a very interesting day. And I'm going to say something that's very spiritual, but I hope we anchor it in something deeply, crudely, naturally human. Because the spiritual is not about wafting off into the away from reality. This spirituality is anything but that. It's not a departure from our experiences. It's a deep relishing of our experiences. So what happened today? Because on any given Saturday in this parish, you'd have adoration and confession and Star of the Sea Church offered, and people would be gathered there, and they'd likely pray the rosary during or after that. Um, sometimes there's a baptism of a morning, but not this, Sunday, not this Saturday. There was a wedding, a wedding between two beautiful young people who have joined their lives now in marriage, and they start a brand new chapter together. Two flesh becoming one flesh and beginning that pilgrimage. Um, and it was a nuptial mass, so the Eucharist was at the center of this merger. Then there was a funeral in the, the crematorium in Tanum. So going directly from a wedding to a funeral is certainly a new experience for me. Might not be the last time it happens, but there was something beautifully, something beautifully similar about the two celebrations, if I'm honest. And I said that at the funeral. I said at the wedding there was a dying to self, and at this funeral there's a union taking place, even if it escapes our vision. Then there was a house blessing, then now we're at Mass again, and we're going to witness a baptism. Almost every colour and shape of the sacramental journey is on display today. Um, and, and, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is falling on the church again. What's the common trend? Something is happening to us because God is reaching out to us in a myriad of ways, is touching us, and by virtue of touching us, is changing us. Not into something different. Isn't, we don't cease to be what we are when God touches us. Actually, in a sense, we start to be what we are. We become um, gods, as in possessed by God, <laughs> not other gods. So there's a common trend there. I wanted to ask you, and it might be hard to answer this question, but common to all of those celebrations, and maybe let's just say the wedding, the funeral, and the baptism, what is our hope for those people being joined in marriage, someone coming to the end of his life and we pray is now sharing in beatitude with God, um, and now someone starting their journey of, of faith, entering the doors of the sacramental life. I'd venture to guess 
that our hopes for all of them are really quite simple. They're simple hopes. We would hope that by virtue of the integrity of their life, they would share in a deep, lasting happiness and joy. By virtue of the integrity of their life. In other words, they will live a life, or they will have lived a life, in the case of the, the funeral, which, I don't want to say earns, but in a way participates with the beautiful gifts that God gives. Think about this for a second, because this is part of the stark difference with how Catholics have always grappled with the mystery of salvation unfolding in our lives. God saves us by grace. God saves us by virtue of our faith um, reaching out to him. But God can never save us without us. This is one thing God can't do. This is one thing God can't do. He calls us into relationship with him. And any relationship is always a two-way street. It's always a conversation. So, so there's something deeply human about what happens with all of those people. And our hopes for all those people are deeply, deeply human. Leading up to this weekend, I've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And maybe to my shame, if you asked me about the gifts of the Holy Spirit a week ago, I wouldn't have had much to say. I wouldn't have known what to say other than maybe to list them. What I've learned about the gifts over the course of the week, which has been something of a watershed moment for me, is this old truth that we should know because it's sort of in our, it's, it's in our lexicon of Catholic things we say. <laughs> Grace builds on nature. Have you heard that phrase before? Grace builds on nature. It's another way of saying God doesn't save us without us. God always blesses something that we bring, even if that something is literally us, literally our contrition, literally our failed effort, but still there was effort. We bring that, God can bless it. We bring nothing, and, and God is sort of like, okay, this needs, something else has to happen here. Otherwise, we're, we're caught at a, at a stalemate. Um, even God says this. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no exception. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? They're wisdom, understanding, uh, fortitude, counsel, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. What are these gifts and, and what do they do? Well, we'd be familiar with our, especially Haley over here doing the adult faith coordination and the sacramental preparation for the kids. The gifts bear fruit, and we can list all the fruit, but, but the fruit is what people see in our lives by virtue of the gifts being operative. I think sometimes it's tempting to wish for the fruit without putting the gifts into effect. Think about this for a second. Um, we all want our lives to be bursting with patience, generosity, kindness, all, the, all those fruits. You can look at the fruits of the Spirit. Where do they come from, though? They don't arrive by magic. It's like a good, free, a good tree produces good fruit. We want good fruit. <laughs> We're going to have to somehow cultivate and tend the tree, which is us, individually and as a community. So how do we tend it? Well, sure, we pray for the Holy Spirit's help. That's never a bad move. But the Holy Spirit is going to ask us, okay, what do you now bring? And this is the watershed for me that God doesn't give us wisdom by magic. 
God doesn't give us understanding or counsel or fortitude, etc., etc., by magic. If grace builds on nature, it begs the question, okay, what nature is God gracing? What nature is God gracing? Um, if you look at Thomas Aquinas' engagement with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says all of the gifts correlate to a virtue. All, each gift correlates to a virtue, whether it be a theological one or a, or a, a cardinal one, a human one. Um, so I'll give one example. Um, justice. Justice is a virtue. What is justice? Essentially, it's giving God and neighbor their due. And what is their due? What do they deserve? Well, they deserve a lot. <laughs> In fact, God deserves everything. But our neighbor, at least, deserves what we deserve. That is to say, respect and dignity and uh, patience and, and, and um, every other thing we can think of. By virtue of that virtue, by virtue of justice in our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and graces our sense of justice and gives us what the church calls piety. Piety is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't generate piety out of yourself because if you do, it looks silly. <laughs> it looks like silly piety, which we sometimes could, you know, tell people they're doing. What is piety, though? Well, it's, it's God recognizing that we're trying to give God his due and he blesses that effort and it becomes supernatural piety. It becomes a wonderful, um, natural reverence for God in everything we do, not just religious stuff, but in everything we do. I'll give another example. Courage. Courage is a virtue. We call it fortitude. What is courage? Well, sometimes in the modern culture, we confuse courage with just like throwing a tantrum, standing up for yourself, losing your cool and telling someone who's oppressing you to nick off, you know? Um, is that courage? There might be courage involved in it, but, but courage must be something sober if it's actually the virtue of courage, because part of the virtues is that it orders our passions. These passions might be fear, or shame, or disgust, or, or any other number of things. But if my so-called courage is simply an outburst of an emotion, it's not courage in the strict sense. It's not actually a virtue. It's almost like the lack of a virtue. So let's say we have courage as the virtue and we're exercising it. God then blesses that and makes it fortitude. What does that mean? What happens then? Well, this is what we see in, for example, the lives of the martyrs. The martyrs were courageous, not just because they had a kind of foolish, brash, uh, abandoned for their own well-being, but because they were so committed to what was right that any threat was rendered impotent. Any threat, even the threat of torture and certain death. This is a supernatural grace. None of us naturally has the capacity for martyrdom. So we should stop sort of comparing ourselves to the martyrs who, who, who died those deaths and we think, oh, I could never do that. Well, yeah, and neither could they. <laughs> See what I'm saying? But they were courageous enough by virtue by, by virtue alone, to say, I'm committed to this. The Holy Spirit completed their bravery 
and made it supernatural fortitude, which was willing to die for the sake of the good. It all boils down to this. Our sacramental life, our spiritual life, our prayers that the Holy Spirit would come and fall upon us with his sevenfold gifts, our reception of the Eucharist, our reception of baptism, our being anointed with chrism and whatnot, all of it is trying to offer God the very, very best of ourselves and to say, please, elevate this to the likeness of your Son in whom the fullness of virtue resides and who possesses the fullness of the Spirit. Very simply, we're praying and working to be, if possible, identical to Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're praying and working and waiting to be made utterly identical to the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. So let's glimpse that in today's baptism.